person. And you live in a land that has been shaped by trying to exalt the ancestors and the way of life that everybody said would be good. And yet you're in that place and somehow you, you hope that there is something more. And yet you're hoping against hope. It's not going to happen. And one day there is a family. There's a, a mother and two sons. The sons are grown, grown boys, grown men. And they find themselves coming to a land for a reason because what was the promised land had dried up. They had found themselves as a nation in a place where it didn't seem like God was listening anymore. It, doesn't seem, it didn't seem like God was blessing. It didn't seem like it was the promised land at all. And so they walked to a land that had been the enemy of their people for centuries. In fact, Moab was a place where they had actually found themselves in a place where they so wanted to resist this God of the Israelites, this God of the Jews, that they found a, a, a prophet to come and curse the, the Jews. But he couldn't do it. And yet they found that their instrument of ruining a nation was by sexual uh, tempting them sexually and found that they could get at the men of Israel. And yet this little family walks into that environment. You can go ahead and be seated. They walk into this environment. And what a crazy place it was crazy place, because nothing what they were used to was like this. And their young men, uh, this, these two young men that were with Naomi, man found these women in Moab that were gorgeous, and they found these women that, man, were, they wanted to marry them, they did. And these young women began to be involved with this crazy situation where the culture's clashed every day. The Jewishness that was in this family and yet their despair of how it wasn't working out and this what? This Moabite-ness that was a, a land that was, that was set against this God of Israel. And they had this family in the midst of that. And yet what happened to these young women is they began to hear things they'd never heard before. And there was one in particular, her name was Ruth. And Ruth began to hear something that appealed to this underlying hope in her life. And as it comes to this moment where this light begins to shine in this dark place, both of these young men, these young husbands, they die. And their mother, Naomi, is so heartbroken because she's coming out of Israel with kind of a taintedness about that land, and she comes into this land of Moab, and her boys are, therefore, her boys die. In fact, she's so heartbroken over it, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, which 
know what? When we make decisions out of pain and fear, then bitterness can creep in. Hopelessness can kind of creep in. So Mara, Naomi, decides, man, I'm going to go back to Israel. But this land has proved to be unfruitful and barren too. And she brings these young women that these young wives in. She goes, listen, I want to bless you. You can return to your people. You can return to your ways. And they said, we're not going to leave you. And one of them chooses to stay, and one of them, Ruth, decides to go with Naomi. <coughs> this is an ancient story. It's an ancient story. But it's so contemporary. Because life, in kind of, as we get older, and as we find ourselves in a culture, the culture of this country has changed in my lifetime. It's changed in your lifetime. It's moved away from things that were more stable to a situation where it seems like we're a country that is bent on being what? Against each other. Hating one another. That I only win if I can make you lose. My side says this, your side says that. And we find ourselves in a place where we have to figure out what's going on. And can you imagine that taking this walk, these, these two women walk all the way back to Israel. And in the middle of it, Ruth gets farther and farther away from what she knows. And yet there begins to be this growing hope. Naomi gets closer and closer to what she's been from. And yet all she has to show for it is brokenness. There's something about this environment that we find ourselves in even now. <clears throat> remember when I was a little kid when life was just bright? I just remember, you know, I, I, I liked, I, I lived on a farm so there wasn't like friends that could come over, okay? And I was thrilled <clears throat> to just wander. My parents just let me, they didn't know where I was. I would just wander on this property. And there was all kinds of adventures and all kinds of amazing things. And life was so vivid, so awesome. You know, my folks never translated to me that life is hard. And it's something that, man, you need to be watch out, watch out for because, man, it's so hard. Because look what could go wrong. When you live on a farm, you're around bugs, right? All right? And you have animals, okay? And they, they man, there's, there's all kinds of things that happen with animals. Man, the weather can change, right? Yeah, I would watch my dad looking out the window when a hailstorm was coming through. And yet I never saw this guy give in to Like, life is man not worth living. Or look how hard it is for me. Now, he may, have, he may have crawled under the, we had a cellar in our house, not a basement. He might have crawled in the cellar and just wept. I don't know, all right? Or those situations, but I don't know. What we find here in this little story that's just after the book of Judges, this book of Ruth, is not where we're going today. It's the environment that I want to bring to you as we head toward the scripture in the book of Ephesians. Because it says so much about the imprecise, those things that we feel like we lost and how costly they were. And those things that are not exact 
And yet all the time, God is caretaking this situation to the place where Naomi uh, begins to wither as she gets closer to home. And nothing looks good. And they get to Israel, and there is, they don't have anything. And in those days, what you could do if you were so poor, you could go into a field where they were harvesting, and the harvesters, uh, by law, would, would allow some of that, uh, whatever they were harvesting, to, 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 not be, to not be reaped, to not be harvested, so that the poor could come and have something. And so Ruth says to Naomi, man, I'm going to go out and do this. I'm going to go out and get, get something, all right? And she was kind of pumped about it. Naomi is like, you know, have you ever been that way, have this little dark rain cloud over you, okay? Where it's like, that's not going to work. That's not going to be good. That can't happen. Because we've gotten to the place where we're convinced that the things that we once hoped for and our opportunities have passed away. We're convinced that people are so hard-hearted in our culture, so resistant to the gospel, that we find ourselves not wanting to fight with them, not wanting to be labeled, not wanting to find ourselves rejected and, 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 and be in a situation where People would look down on us. Or it would always be a scrap. And so we as Christians begin to what? We begin to survive too. We begin to get by too. And that 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 newness of when we came to Christ begins to begins to kind of fade. And so as as Ruth goes out, she doesn't really know where to go. And she ends up going to this particular field. And she begins to go out there again. She does not know that what used to be such an honorable thing in Israel became like a situation for young women that was super dangerous. Super uh, vulnerable to being taken advantage of. She finds herself going out in this. She didn't know all that. See, some people say ignorance is bliss. That's not what she's like. It's this hope that's been beginning to rise up in her. There's something about being out of what she knew and being into what she didn't know. But there was this message about this God of Israel that began to ring in her heart, though she knew nothing about it. She saw Naomi, who used to tell her about the good things of God, and Naomi is no longer an asset in that realm. Naomi is brokenhearted. We call it depressed nowadays. And we find the situation where they, she goes out into this field and she begins to glean. And so the guy that owns the field says, man, who is that out there? And these guys, these laborers, these, these workmen, they go, man, that's, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. And he says, man, don't mess with her. Don't hurt her. And let her, even if she goes over, you know, you can even glean wrong because you don't know what to do. You can kind of get over into the good stuff. <laughs> and he's like, well, it's here, okay? Haven't been harvested yet. She didn't know the rules. Right? And she, he says, even if she gets into the good stuff, man, don't, don't, don't mess with her. Right? History has come to this little moment of this gal called Ruth in this field, and this guy that owns the field, and his name is Boaz. Boaz's great grandmother, all right, who was she? She was Rahab. She was a prostitute in the city of Jericho, and she is the one that hid. 
the spies of Israel before they came into the promised land. And because of that, her family was spared when Jericho's wall fell in. And she had an offspring, and then an offspring, and then this, this young man named Boaz. Ah, oh, that's crazy. These, these aren't, folks, these aren't Israelites. Right? Ruth is not from Israel, nor is Boaz. And yet they meet in this field years and years later. And it comes to this place where what looks so impossible, what looks so improbable, what looks like another step to see how it's going to go, becomes that perfect moment. How many of us in this room are in a similar situation where we're actually at our perfect moment that we don't see sometimes how God has been at work in something not to bring about an almost, not to bring about a kind of, but to bring about an exactness, to bring about a change, to bring about more than that, a fulfillment of what's been coming for a long time. I want you to turn with me. I want you to hold on to this Ruth story. Are we okay with that? Hold on to this Ruth story, man. I want you to turn with me. Um, first of all, long road to Ephesians, but I don't think so. I want you to turn with me to uh, the book of um, Exodus. And there's a scripture here in the middle of this. How many of you have read through Exodus and it gets to the place where it's the design and the building of the, of the tabernacle in the wilderness, this, this meeting place, this representation of God's presence with his people? And it starts to be this excruciating detail. Have you been there? Right. It's like reading through the book of Numbers, right? And we kind of skip and bip over some of that stuff because we think, well, and so, there's so many of this tribe and so many of that tribe. And we get to this place in the book of, of uh, Exodus, and it starts to be this detail about how to build it, how to make it, what to do it, how to connect it, how to do this, how to do that. And we think, wow, I know this is the Bible too, but how in the world does this apply to anything? <laughs> and yet, if we begin to we begin to listen, like like this Ruth woman, that we have this underlying hope, this 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 work of the Spirit, where He's blowing on the coals of our heart, where He's giving us an insight and a readiness and a preparation for faith that perhaps in other ways we were so we were so separate from. How could this possibly work? How is it going to work out? All of us have situations that are kind of impossible. And yet God is not necessarily changing those instantly, but he's changing what impossible is to us. He's changing that definition of that can't be possible, that can't work. And he's turning it into something else. In Exodus 26, 6, we're just going to look at this one scripture. And it says this in the scripture, I love it. It says, you shall make, here part of this detail, you shall make 50 clasps of gold, one particular piece of this tabernacle that's being put together, and join the curtains to one another with clasps so that the tabernacle will be a unit. He's saying that all this detail, all this, all this, this overlaying things with gold and what size they should be and how they should be placed how the utensils should be there. All of this is saying 
one thing. It's all a unit. It's all talking about something that God is doing and giving us insight in to not only the value of it now, but in the value of it being completed. He's saying in the midst of this that everything was prepared to be a part of the whole. Everything was costly. Everything was precious. Everything was precise. They were all made, all these parts were made joinable. No one piece defined it all. No matter how spectacular, no matter how amazing the gold was, how precious the diamond, the acacia wood, the twisted linen, each piece was pounded out, cut, formed, shaped, and arranged to serve the purpose of telling the whole story. He joined it together, and it says, he says to us, I am among you. And that he's nothing like what we've become, and yet he alone will right the wrong, and thus he did. It says in Ephesians, don't you know that you are a temple of God, no longer strangers and aliens being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together in the dwelling of God in the Spirit. That there is something going on in this picture of the tabernacle that talks about these characteristics of wholeness. It's talking about something that costs. It talks about something that's uh, precious, and it's talking about something that's precise. Our own thinking does not necessarily have any of those characteristics. Have you found yourself sometimes, man, you're so set on something, and then a day passes, and then you're not so sure. And then something else happens, and the hope of this happening isn't even there anymore, and so what happens is, here's the standard of God. And we go through life, and we don't see that occurring, and so we lower the standard. And we don't see that occurring, and we lower the standard. And we get to the place where we're fashioning ourselves. Or we're being fashioned by what's outside. It's affecting us. And yet in the midst of it, believers, God has been blowing on those coals of your heart, or you would be someplace else on a Sunday morning. He's blowing on the coals of hearts that aren't in this building. He's blowing on the hearts of those, the, the coals of the hearts of students at CSU, of young people. Listen, our work is a, 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 a multi-generational work. The church's responsibility is from birth to bereavement. That is our, that is our, uh, what do they call it? That, that's our demographic. I've had people ask me before. Rick, what is the demographic of your church? And we always say human beings. Right? That's, my, that's our demographic. All right? It's something about this that he's saying to these people, there is something coming. In Ezekiel 36, he says this, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. He says, in, over in Colossians, he says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or the things in heaven. This particular picture 
of this preciseness of this tabernacle, it, 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 it shouts down through history to the point where it impacts us today. And even little Ruth, out in that field gleaning, found herself in the place where then she was what? Invited to come and eat with the, with the, with the owner and with the workman. And then she was kept safe. And she goes home that evening, and here's Naomi with, with the little rain cloud over her. And Naomi said, like, oh, how'd it go? And Ruth says, do you know what happened today? And she unfolds her apron, and there's this abundance that she's brought home. What awakens hope in us is something so precious that we can't give it any other credit but that it's God at work in us. We sang the song about glory. And yet the more I study the glory, the more I'm like I don't know about it. Okay? Because it's the outraying, it's the evidence, it's like this shining evidence that it's God that's at work. But folks, sometimes we have God do something so special to us and that sometime after that we face another difficulty or another challenge and it's like this old, this, 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 this thing that actually happened didn't happen. And we, we, we pick up again how hard it is and it's uphill both ways and, and it's difficult and how can I get through this? I was mentioning last week I, I threw away the journals I wrote because they, there's so much of them was about how hard it was and how difficult it was. But I kept one. I kept the worst one. Where it talked about, man, it seems hopeless. I've got four little kids. And we're down here in Colorado Springs and we're planting a church. It's uphill both ways. It's storming all the time. There are bugs. There, there's everything that I brought to mind that I did not grow up seeing. And yet I began to embrace it as if it was what? That God made this too hard. He made it too difficult. He made it too, too hard to find the breadcrumbs, the, 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 the puzzle parts had too many missing pieces. And I kept it. And I wrote something in after it, about 10 years later. I said, God has provided every day in every way. We should have been dead, lost, broken, poor. My family keeps thinking, oh, Rick, you're just going to be a homeless guy someday because uh, you, you, you spend what you have on what God wants. Tell you what, it's not my idea. It, it doesn't come from me. I'm not trying to earn something from God. Naomi, she thought that, man, because she was an Israelite, it should be easy for her. Instead of this testimony that even in tribulation she could have hope. In 1 Peter 1, it says this, knowing that you are not redeemed but with perishable things like gold and silver from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as the blood of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He's talking about something that all this testimony of history rolls down and finds itself parking in our garage. Do you remember that story? where David wanted to bring this tabernacle into, the, into Jerusalem, into the city of David. And they went out, and they were rejoicing, and they were so happy, and they were so glad, and dancing, and singing. And they put this ark up on, the, on a cart, which as you read through the details, it wasn't to be transported that way. But it would be easier. 
And the oxen stumble and the cart begins to fall over and the tabernacle could fall on the ground and this guy named Uzzah, man, he, 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 he holds that cart up so it doesn't fall over and God kills him instantly. And all of a sudden the party stopped. The party stopped. And people are going, what kind of a God is this? This guy was trying to help. What kind of a God is this? And so they took the cart no further. But there was a place, a house right here. And so what they, they took that ark and they put it in the, they didn't have a driveway, but it, it, then this guy's driving. Okay? And this guy, his name's Obed-Edom. I love that name. You don't hear about that name being used much anymore. Still a cool name, Obed-Edom. They parked it in his driveway, thinking, this is too dangerous. Let's go figure this out. Let's go mourn the fact that this God that we serve, man, we don't know him. And yet, it was parked in his driveway for three months, and, and God did nothing but bless this man, Obed and his family. Did nothing but, but raise them up. Did nothing but put his good in their lives. That Israel had to move away from the standard they had dropped and be lifted up to the standard that's here. I want you to turn with me to this fourth chapter of Ephesians. I want to take a look at this. We're going to take a look at this, this one sentence in the book of Ephesians in relationship to what this is happening in, in Ruth's life and Naomi's life. And what's happening in terms of this, this, this moving of this ark, in terms of this exacting and this precision and this precious whole work that God is doing, even displayed in this construction of this tabernacle in the wilderness. In the, in the, the third chapter uh, of the, uh, Ephesians, we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. This is one sentence. We've looked at some pieces of it, but let's look at it as a whole. He says, by referring to this, he's, what he's referring to is this mystery that's been hidden is now being made known. This mystery of Christ. By referring to this, you can read when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise of Christ, uh, Christ Jesus, through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of of his power. Greek, a Greek sentence isn't limited like an English sentence. In a Greek sentence, you can have lots of words, lots of impact uh, in, in terms of what's being said rather than just the noun or verb. There can be all kinds of words that come out because what's being expressed is, is that here's the parts of a whole thought. Here's the pieces that come together that demonstrate that God is not only doing something in a big way, but he's doing something in a very specific way in everyone's heart. As we go back and take a look at this word, he says, by referring to this, he's talking about this word insight. You can understand my insight. And insight is the Greek word which means to bring together. Where we get our word synthesis. Okay, is where this word comes from. It means to set together, to understand. But I want you to catch this. 
This insight is a penetrating consideration which proceeds to action. Folks, we know so many parts and pieces and words that never proceed to action. You know what I'm talking about? We know a lot. We studied a lot. We are the most educated group of believers in history, and yet what? We are the most inactive in terms of those things that are kingdom things. And my proclamation to you is not for you to get busier, but for you to begin to what? Experience what God is doing in the midst of whatever challenge you're going through. For us to experience corporately what it means to be the body of Christ and what that body of Christ means to this effect upon this city. Some of us are going to be in this city a long time. Some of us are going to be here a short time. But are you going to be in this place representing what God is doing so that as you go to the next place, you leave fruit here? There's evidence that you as a Christian, you as a believer, have left something that now can what? Move forward, even if you end up having to leave. Folks, I'll tell you what, this is basic Christianity. I've been around lots of people who for a while are so excited. In fact, anytime somebody tells me, man, I'm so excited about this, I'm going, man, you need more than that. And because when they start to face challenges, when they start to face the next step, all they've left is a dent in somebody's pew. All they've left is something that's so temporary, so personal, so much related to their own survival, their own preservation, that so little is left that the kingdom of God has been exhibited in this person's life. It's not works, folks. It's glory. It's the demonstration. It's what the whole picture says. And we find ourselves in this place where he's saying that Paul has insight. It's now what? Been revealed. It's something that's been uncovered. Now I know directly. Isn't it amazing that in the uh, <coughs> 16th chapter of the book of John, the disciples say to Jesus, listen, we finally get it. We don't need to ask you any more questions. We now know you're from God. Three years. And we think we're going to impact people in a two-minute conversation with them. And if they don't receive something, then man, we're, we don't know what to do with that. It's an investment. This week, uh, our, our youngest and only daughter, I always call her my favorite daughter, had her first baby. It's an amazing thing. Man, I wanted to be there, but you know who was there? Julie Richter. Yeah, she was in the middle of it, right? <laughs> Man, she's the, when you want to be having babies, you want her around to be here, right? Because there's something about it. Because as much as a young mother can expect, read books, see the movies, and Megan is, she's an extreme researcher. Man, nothing kind of prepared for the actual birth of this baby. Is it now or is it later? Is this a real contraction or not a contraction? Is this, is this a real thing or not the real thing? Man, we went through the same thing. We went to the doctor, sure that today was the day. He said, why don't you go home and it's not going to happen immediately. And we went out to breakfast. <laughs> we, we didn't know what else to do. All right? But when the real thing happened, it happened in our waterbed. We had the old-time waterbed, which is like with no baffles in it. It's just like a pond of plastic. All right? 
Julie's taking a nap in there. The real thing hits. I have my stopwatch. I have my clipboard, just like I taught, they taught us in class. Pretty soon I've thrown the stopwatch. I've thrown Because I can't get this person that's this big out of this pond. All right? When she's in the middle of it, I can't get her out of there. Okay? I can't lift her because she's doing stuff. I, I can't get her out of it. Okay? Are we going to have this baby on this pond? And now I'm not even thinking about the baby. I'm thinking about how do I get her to where she needs to be? <laughs> you know what we, we did? It was a king size. So it's, it's kind of like Long's Pond size. So what I did was, Julie was over here, I went around to the opposite side, and I did the tsunami. <laughs> right? Like this. And I ran around the other side, but she was coming out of bed. She was right there, got her in the car. Man, we don't know, do we? But there's somebody about to be born. She's not going to come home from the hospital pregnant. This is not practice. This is the real thing. And yet, all that work has been happening in her body. All that thing was happening in Megan's body. It was building life on the inside of her body. It's an amazing thing. See, God portrays his faithfulness in everything. And so Paul is saying here, man, there is, there is a revealing that's going on. There is the real thing now that's about to happen, and it's whole. There's nothing missing. Listen, it's not about fighting fear, folks. It's about there's no reason to be scared. It's not about fighting hard situations because you know what? God will win. He'll win in the long run. I have situations right now that don't seem like they're going to win. And there's injustice in the middle of it. And there's people making bad choices in the middle of it. And it wants to say to us, it wants to say to us, be Naomi, be the Mara. It's time now to embrace bitterness because it's not going to change. And Paul is saying that he's revealed this to apostles and prophets. Who are these guys? They're described in the next chapter as equippers, as church and body equippers. He's revealing this to those that are going to equip this corporate work made up of individuals to shine as what? great local church? No, it's the body of Christ. Jesus says, the church is my body. It's not like a body. It's not a symbol of being a body. It's exactly a body. His body. And he talks about this, this nobody got this, the Gentiles were fellow heirs. Wow. How precise the gold and the wood and the saying this is going to be precisely what happens. Your fellow heirs, your fellow members of the body. Listen, whether you've been here for the first time or this is, this is where you've been all your life, you're not on the outside looking in. But God has been blowing on the coals of your heart because this is a place where God is saying it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to No, she had no syllabus of what was happening. And Naomi starts to come alive. She starts to wake up in the midst of this amazing encounter of saying, that, that field that you were in, that's a, that's a close relative. And so she says, no, go at night. And man, find yourself, man, and lay at Boaz's feet. <laughs> 
a sign of saying, you know what, I'm putting myself under your care. See, folks, independence can work against us. And we lack vulnerability, and it can work against us. God is saying, you need to be vulnerable. And so she does and goes, and, you know, and, and Boaz gets it. But Boaz realizes there's a relative that's closer in terms of redeeming this family than he is. And so he goes to the gate of the city, this person that's uh, closer to this redemption, comes into the city. And they have this conversation. And Boaz says, not only are you the person that should be redoing this, but I want her. Don't ever get into your thinking that God likes people better than he likes you. He likes other people more than he likes you. See, he's looking for us to reciprocate. He's looking for us to yield. He's looking for us to lay at his feet. He's looking for us to say, you know what? There's nobody else going to redeem me. This fellow member of the body of Christ, each part is won by the same Savior. Each part encounters the wholeness of his coming for everyone. But in coming for everyone, he has to come for, for you too. He says, you know what? I was made a minister of this gospel. Paul was complicit with the murder of human beings. He was a, he was a man that studied the scriptures his whole life. And he got so twisted that he was okay with murdering people because they, they needed to be eradicated because they were really against what God was doing. But he found out he was the one that was against what God was doing. And he had people helping. He had, he had Barnabas helping. He had those that were acted as, uh, uh, I keep forgetting this word, uh, uh, somebody helps a, a woman have a baby. They weren't good, right? We don't know sometimes what God uses us as a midwife. He's saying that this gift that was given to him was given to him by the grace of God. He was saying to these, these guys that, that there was a, something that had happened here was it was, it was given to him according to the working of his power. And his power was what? Dunamis. It was power in action. I remember as a kid visiting Hoover Dam in, uh, outside, of Las, uh, outside of Las Vegas. And standing there, you could get closer in those days, all right? Standing on this platform and this water rushing into these turbines to these turbines and make this electricity. And this whole structure that was unknown amounts of concrete and steel and went way up and way down was shuddering at this power. And he says that this power is at work. God is saying to us, not only individually, but as a people, it's not time to get more inspired. It's not even time uh, to kind of give this another try. It's time to let hope live in our heart. It's time to read the word, and when he sets the bar way up here, to just tell him, okay. Because Boaz redeemed Ruth. She became his wife. Guess who they were? 
places us in the body, no matter what our malady or our brokenness or our sin, as we come to him and he redeems us. How many of us in here, we don't have to raise our hands, have given up purity somewhere along the line in our life? They're, they're, that we, we let innocence go. We've all done it. And yet God restores us to innocence and purity. He restores us to be a, a light to the world. And that light isn't our best effort. The light is the empowering and the work of him shining out. There's something about this, folks, that we must be reconciled to. We must return from being unconvinced. We must return from being kind of hopeful but not hopeful. We must return from being kind of caught by his word and not. We need to return from this mixed life, this, this, this hybrid life, to that purity of being able to see him and <coughs> and let him raise us up. And raise us up. It's not years down the road. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. It says to us as a Let's find out what it's like to win a city for Christ. Let's find out what it's like to be instruments, not just individually, but corporately, to change a neighborhood, to change an apartment building, to change a campus. And it's not by being and working harder, it's by being who we are. And letting what? These words hold and cost
because I, I want us to be able to pray for one another because some of us, how many have been kind of sick of this thing and laboring on it a little bit? Anybody? I see a hand going back. I see that hand come up. <laughs> All right. Uh, we want to make sure we pray for those, pray for you. Okay. And there may be others of us that are relationships.